Hello and welcome to the JNM podcast. I'm Miro. And I'm Jeanette. And this is a podcast where we talk about a movie, TV show, and anything in between. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, welcome to our podcast. Hope you're doing well. If you're coming back, welcome back. Uh, hope you're doing well too. <laughs> uh, today we are going to be talking about Steven Seagal. Yeah, just not a movie, but just. <laughs> The man, the myth, <laughs> the legend, <laughs> Steven Seagal. In case anyone doesn't know, uh, he's an American actor, screenwriter, and most importantly, martial artist. He's a living weapon, lethal, one hundred percent lethality rate. So we receive information from Wikipedia, IMDb, Rise, a pop history of Asian American. From the 90s to now, Huffington Post, Looper, Red Eye Review, which is a YouTube channel, Bobby Fingers, which is also a YouTube channel, Grunge, The Week, The Daily Mail, Newsweek, Variety, <laughs> Cinema I, I don't think we Blend. need to list all of this, babe. No, I think we do. I think we do. You sure? Well, you know, just We got like, our information from the internet. No, so you guys know that it is bit, accurate. Just a little bit more. Just a little <laughs> <laughs> the Washington Post, Entertainment Weekly, The Rap, The Independent, The Howard Stern Show, Your Mom's House Podcast, The Guardian, and The Arsenio Hall Show. Cool. So uh, let's talk about his uh, early life. Uh, Steven Seagal was born on April 10th. 1952 uh, in Lansing, Michigan. How old is he, babe? What's the math on that? <laughs> Why are you... Uh, he's like 70. Wow. Right? Sorry. Uh, hold on. Yeah. He's 50. He's 71, yeah. Yeah, because it's like 50 is 2002, and then you yeah. add to like 20. Yeah. So 70, 70, 70 something. Yeah. yeah. 70. That's old. Oh my God. <laughs> he doesn't look a day over 60 though. No, he looks pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was the only son and child of Patricia and Samuel Seagal. Patricia was a medical technician and Sam was a high school math teacher. Stephen claims to be a reincarnated Tibetan Buddha. However, his paternal grandparents were Russian Jewish immigrants, and his mother is of Irish descent. And even in Rise, a pop history of Asian American from the 90s to now, which is like a, like a pop history book, notes, he is not Asian at all, not even a little, no matter how hard he tries. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. It's even funny because what if he, in his mind he's like, well, my ancestors migrated from like China, you know, from Tibet directly to Russia. And then, you know, it's like he does all this like mental gymnastics in his head of like, <laughs> yeah, you know, thousands of years ago, my ancestors moved from Tibet to Moscow <laughs> and converted to Judaism. <laughs> Um, so when Stephen was five years old, he moved with his parents to Fulton, California. Uh, prior to the move, Patricia Seagal notes that Stephen was frail and he suffered from asthma. He attended Buena Park High School in Buena Park and attended Fullerton College between 1970 and 1971. That's a pretty short college uh, <laughs> career. Mine was like 
10 years old. Yeah. And, th- and mind you, this is a community college, not to be confused with Cal State Fullerton. Uh, okay. So, like, just, I mean, it is a college, but it's a community college. Gotcha. Um, but while living in Fullerton, mm-hmm. uh, he worked with an old Japanese man at a dojo in Garden Grove that he was encouraged to vis- visit Japan. Oh, gotcha. So he was working with uh, his sensei, and the sensei was like, you should go to Japan. And he's like, dude, totally, I'll go to Japan. No, maybe, like, he was like, you know what, I should go to Japan. And yeah. the old guy was like, I don't really think you should. And he's like, yeah, I, I think I should. I think, you're telling me, I, I think you're telling me I need to go to Japan, sensei. And the sensei is like, no, Steven, you don't need to go to Japan. You're good. And he's like, all right, sensei, I'll, do you, I'll go on your quest. <laughs> And I can I can imagine this like you know, when you get famous, all of your stories become more grandiose than they were. So this was probably just like a side conversation, you know. Probably oh, yeah, you should probably go to Japan one day. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe one day I'll go check it out. And then years later, he's telling it like it was this like inspirational story of like my sensei told me to go visit Japan, you know, <laughs> go on a uh, go on a quest. <laughs> So let's talk about his uh, first and quote-unquote second marriage. Seagal moved to Japan between 1971 and 1973 uh, and returned to California in 1974. In 1974, he met Mikayo Fujitani, a second-degree black belt and the daughter of uh, an Osaka Aikido master uh, who had come to L.A. to teach Aikido. And sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. Um, no, I think he did pretty good. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So when Miyako uh, returned to Osaka, Seagal went with her, and the two were married in 1975. They have a son, uh, Kentaro, and a daughter, Ayako. While there, he taught a school owned by uh, Miyako's family. Though he states to have been the first non-East Asian to open a dojo in Japan... There is no evidence that it is true, which is funny because he said yeah. that he's Asian. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I'm not Asian when I do, but I'm the first person to do something. But otherwise, I'm definitely Asian. Yeah. While still legally married to Fujitani, Seagal actually married an actress named Adrienne La Russa in 1984. However, the marriage was annulled the same year after Rusa realized that Seagal was still married to his first wife. Oh, wow. So th- I feel like this is where we're seeing the fascination with Russia, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Her last name is literally Russia, so, you know. Wait, maybe his sensei was like, you know, I don't think you should marry her. He's yeah. like, oh, I, I think I should marry her. His, his, this sensei was like, you know what? It worked whenever I said he should come to Japan. What if I just say, you know, it's time for you to go to Russia and he'll just go. Yeah. So in 1986, Stephen met Kelly LeBrock uh, when her publicist introduced them in Japan. Though reports note that they met in 1987, their first child was born in the spring of 87. After meeting, the two began to have an affair, and it wasn't until Fujitani discovered uh, that uh, Kelly LeBrock was pregnant with Stephen's baby that she uh, granted Stephen a divorce in 1986. Uh, Again, the timeline is a little bit off, and it's a little bit confusing because 
uh, Steven Seagal is an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, yeah, that was like so confusing because they were like, okay, they they met in 1987. But then their first child was born in the beginning of 1987. Yeah. So I'm like, how is that even possible? So they <laughs> must have, like, met before and, like, had an affair, but they're, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that's kind of why I was like, yeah, this is really confusing. confusing. Yeah. <laughs> so in the fall of uh, 1987, uh, Stephen marries actress uh, Kelly LeBrock once his divorce with his wife is finalized. They would have two more children. Before LeBrock filed for divorce in 1994 for irreconcilable differences. Though the divorce was finalized in 1996, it was an ugly and very publicized divorce causing LeBrock to quit her acting career and move her children to a ranch in Santa Barbara. And in an interview with the Daily Mail, LeBrock notes that she married a very sad man and deem Seagal as the tragedy of Hollywood. Wow, that is messed that's, up. That's very low. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also it's kind of interesting that she was just like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to move to a farm in Santa Barbara. It was funny because I was watching their Arsenio Hall show when they had him on the show, and I guess... It was around the time that the divorce was, like, ongoing. And so Arsenio would be like, hey, like, what's up with your divorce? Like, it kind of seems like you're, you know, implying that she's a bad mother. And, yeah, he was kind of an asshole. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And it's weird because, like, you're, I mean, I would assume that they wouldn't really talk about it in public. But I guess, like, you know... Uh, it was it was one of those divorces, kind of like Johnny Depp's, I guess you could compare it to, where it was like overly public yeah. for people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's talk a little bit about his uh, film career. Uh, prior to working as an actor, Stephen worked as an Aikido stunt coordinator for The Challenge, a 1982B movie starring Scott Glenn. Surprisingly, in 83... Stephen worked as a martial arts instructor for Never Say Never Again. This is a James Bond movie uh, and Sean Connery's seventh and final film as James Bond. Though Stephen trained Connery to help get into shape for the role, he accidentally broke Connery's wrist. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Of course he did. The tragedy of Hollywood strikes again. He breaks Sean Connery's wrist. <laughs> you know, I bet, I bet he was like, Sean, I can totally break your wrist. And Sean Connery was like, there's no way you can break my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> and Steven's like, here, yeah, I'll break it. And then just breaks his wrist. And he's like, oh no. Oh no, you broke my wrist. <laughs> you were a woman, I'd slap you. <laughs> um, so after that, Steven uh, began working as an action film star uh, with Above the Law being his acting debut. Uh, it's been reported that Stephen uh, was asked to make the film by his former Aikido pupil turned agent, uh, Michael Ovitz. Ovitz believed he could make anyone a movie star, even Steven Seagal. <laughs> I mean, he was kind of right. He was, Stephen was a star for a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, following its success, uh, Stephen went on to star in Hard to Kill, uh, Mark for Death, and Out for Justice. Uh, all of which were uh, really big box office hits in 1990 and 1991. Mm -hmm. uh, he ended up becoming an action hero, joining the ranks of Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, Dolph Lundgren, 
and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, during the filming of Out of Justice, uh, Steven Seagal got into a scuffle with Gene LaBelle, the godfather of grappling, because Steven insisted that he could not be successfully choked unconscious due to his Aikido training. <laughs> <laughs> LaBelle offered to prove Seagal wrong, and Seagal agreed to be placed in the chokehold. Once LaBelle applied the hold on Seagal, Seagal not only lost consciousness, he lost control of his bowels. <laughs> Though LaBelle argues that Steven might have had a big dinner prior to the chokehold, Steven argues that the accident never even happened. Bobby Fingers recreated the moment via small-scale model. Uh, this is the YouTube channel that we recommended. Um, he basically kind of goes over the story of what happened, uh, and he makes a little small diorama about it. Uh, we would, you know, really recommend yeah, he kind of, yeah. like, interviews one of uh, Gene's friends who was also working on that set with him. And then I guess he also interviewed one of the an anonymous people that were there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it's interesting. And I'll uh, post a photo of, like, the small-scale model. <laughs> yeah, and, like, a link to the video and stuff. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because he was such a big star at that time. Yeah. You had but, to... I mean, babe, are we not going to talk about him shitting himself? No, no, because... <laughs> <laughs> but that's really funny that the guy is like, No, Steven, I can, I can choke you out. And Steven's like, No, dude, you don't understand. I was sent to Japan on a quest <laughs> to study Aikido. <laughs> so I cannot be choked out. Well, it's funny because Gene, I think at this time, was in his 50s. Yeah. And I think Steven was like 30, Yeah, maybe? it was like young. Yeah, yeah. Man. But it's just, it's funny like seeing a small scale model. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looking like... Um, so yeah, like you were saying, uh, he was he was a big star. Uh, yeah, he yeah. was such a big star that as a result, there's this one place that you go to when you're a big star, uh, and that's SNL. Yeah, that's how you know you've made it, mm -hmm. is if uh, you're on SNL, yeah. Especially during that time. Yeah. So on <laughs> April 20th, 1991, Seagal hosted season 16, episode 18 of Saturday Night Live. Lauren Michaels, David Spade, and Tim Meadows called Seagal the show's worst host ever, citing that he was humorless and treated the cast and writers terribly. He also refused to participate in Hans and Franz's sketch because the skit's title characters had previously said they could be up Steven Seagal. <laughs> Do you know that's really funny because that means Steven Seagal watches saturday night live so religiously that he knew that these characters have called him out before no i feel like that he only watches stuff of like people who make fun of him you know oh, he specifically but you know this was the 90s though like that would be hard to true. do you couldn't just like google you know steven seagal haha <laughs> and get a bunch of results i mean yeah that's true i don't know like it's it's very uh yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Um, so Bob Odenkirk, who was one of the writers of the show at the time, was working on the skit for that week, that Hans and Franz skit, and he was trying to pitch ideas to Seagal. And Seagal noted that if he did the skit, he would have to beat 
the guys up in the skit. So he would have to be Hans and Franz. Yeah. In order for him to do the skit. Wow. <laughs> and Odekirk also noted that Steven kept noting that he never seen SNL. <laughs> and then he, he did like a pretty good impersonation of uh, Steven. That he was like, I never seen your show, SNL. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The final skit for that episode was written by Seagal himself, which is a reenactment of a scene from one of his famous movies where he beats up a bunch of stuntmen. And at the end of the eight-minute skit... (laughs) Eight minutes! Eight minutes on television. That's, like, so long. And it's funny because... The last skits of, you know, Saturday Night Live is usually, like, a pretty quickie. Yeah. You know, it's usually just to wrap things up before yeah. they had to run to the main stage and say, like, oh, yeah, thank you so Goodbye, much. Goodbye. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, it was an eight-minute skit. And after that whole ordeal, uh, Seagal just stands there and says, this is what happens when you pollute the planet. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Wow, uh, that is crazy. I, you know, I bet he thought he was gonna be like Captain Planet or something, and be like, "Yeah, you guys, like this is kids are gonna love this." I beat up the bad guys, and at the end, I give a good message. You know, what's a he? I bet you he thought about it forever. He was like, "What's a good, what's a good message I can give to kids?" You know, like what's a good one? And then he like, you know, ate a popsicle or something, and he threw it on the ground. And he's like, oh, that's a good one. I'll do the polluting one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's pretty big right now, right? Yeah. Um, Al Franken, another writer and producer for SNL, confirmed that Seagal was also the worst host by lapped of other bad hosts he ever encountered in his 15 years on the show. He also noted to Tom Segura that everything he pointed out about Steven Seagal is mm-hmm. true. Like, so everything that he did on stage you know, during his, like, bits Like Tom him, Segura's bits? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all true. Yeah. <laughs> um, Franken uh, noted that on Wednesday, uh, before the SNL episode, the cast and writers would join in a room with Seagal and Lauren Michaels to run by skit ideas. Mm-hmm. And after listening to the ideas, Seagal offered an idea of his own. And he pitched this idea where Seagal plays a psychiatrist who hypnotized his patient, who he wanted uh, Victoria Jackson to um, play. And once he hypnotizes her, they then have sex on stage and on live TV. Oh, what the heck? And after they have sex... Seagal tells his patient that she has to come back every week. Wow, so his, like, funny sketch idea was turning a person into a sex slave. Yeah, basically. Wow. Uh, Since Michaels need to maintain a relationship with the host for that week, he gestures to Franken to step in, and then (laughs) Franken notes to Seagal... So you want us to make the ugliest sketch ever made on television? (laughs) (laughs) Seagal immediately says, you don't like any of my ideas. Like, he was just so, like... Oh, man, you (laughs) shot down my, you know, 
really fucked up rape fantasy idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, how dare you? You don't like anything. Um, you know, I'm not. I, I would say I'm surprised, but I'm really not that. That's you know that was his idea for a sketch. No, he seems like a pretty shitty person. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like, look at his, like, current films. Like, it's pretty degrading towards women. So, I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks later, when Nicolas Cage worried that he would do poorly, that the audience would regard him as the biggest jerk who'd ever been on the show, uh, Michaels uh, replied, No, no, that would be Steven Seagal. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I bet you to this day they're probably still burning Steven Seagal in that room. I mean, probably, yeah. but I think like most of the writers and actors at that time have already gone. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean like those people specifically, like they are still to this day like saying stories and shit about him. Oh yeah, this shit sounds crazy. You yeah, know? I mean like the Al Franken one that was like I think last year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and. Oh. Two weeks after that, Franken was on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno as one of the guests. And when he got on set, he soon found out that Steven Seagal was the other guest. (laughs) And during one of the breaks, Seagal asked Franken why Lauren Michaels would note that he is one of the worst hosts ever had, like SNL ever had. Yeah. And though Franken was a bit startled by it, Jay Leno immediately stepped in and he's like, well, you're just such a big star. He had to pick you because you're a big star and you're a tough guy and yeah. you could kick Michael's ass. Like, he he immediately, like, saved Franken's ass and... <laughs> wow, dude. Like, that's crazy. He's like, why did you guys make fun of me after I, I left the show? Like, yeah. that's such small dick energy. Like, dude, because you're an asshole. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Sigal immediately accepts the excuse and move, moves on, immediately saving Franken's ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. When asked on Watch What Happens Live, David Spade named Sigal as a successful person on SNL that he deemed overrated. Uh, he notes that he was tough to work with and did not play along and was always declining any idea they ever made fun of him mm-hmm. or were over his head in terms of humor. And Tim Meadows, uh, one of the cast members at that time, revealed that Seagal had his ideas about what he thought was funny, which were never funny in the first place. Again, that psychiatrist uh, skit. Yeah. And he also notes that uh, Seagal didn't realize that you can't tell someone you're they're stupid on Wednesday and expect them to write yeah for you on Saturday. <laughs> so the AKA he called someone stupid on the set. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, uh, I feel like that's such a shitty thing because SNL is one of those things that I feel like once you you're famous and you go on it, like it's such a fun thing to do because every famous person does it. Well, yeah, you know, it's, so it, it's like a pa- it's like a rite of passage. I don't know, it's tradition. Like it's cool. So, like, you go on there, and if you trust the writers and they're good, they'll, you know, make good sketches. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. That's kind of weird. Um, it almost feels like Steven Seagal was, like, 
setting himself up for failure without even knowing, you know? Yeah. It is kind of funny when it comes to just being an asshole, especially to, like, an asshole to a bunch of people that would go on to be uh, writers and actors of their own way. And it's like, yeah, I mean, these are people that you could probably get more gigs with in the future. Exactly. Like, these are the people that are going to go out in your industry. And guess what? The week after yours, they're going to make fun of you. For sure. Yeah. You know, like, these are the people that are going to be making sketch comedy shows for the next few years. You think they're going to... I feel like they're going to sneak in a couple Steven Seagal jokes, you know? Um, and, of course, the part about that him not liking the jokes that made fun of him just, like, really show how big of an ego he has. Well, that and also I feel like that he's very insecure with yeah. himself, too. Like, yeah. I feel like that this is... It's, like, both an ego and then also insecurity. Yeah, and honestly, I kind of understand that to some point, too, because uh, when his mother was saying he was, like, weak and stuff as a child, maybe when he, you know, went and got fit, he kind of, like, started overcompensating for that. Yeah, probably. Let's talk about how uh, he basically began to plateau and uh, started to decline. Uh, in 1992, uh, Under Siege was released, uh, giving him uh, basically the biggest mainstream success he had at, up to that point. Uh, in 1994, he would direct and star in On Deadly Ground, uh, featuring Michael Caine, R. Lee Ernie, and Billy Bob Thornton. Mm-hmm. The film emphasized environmental and spiritual themes, breaking Seagal's uh, stride as an inner-city cop. On Deadly Ground received poor reviews by critics, though Seagal considers it one of the most important and relevant moments of his career. He won a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Director and nominated for Worst Actor and Worst Picture. In '95, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory was released with mixed reviews. He also had a role that same year in Executive Decision. However, he only appeared in the first 45 minutes of the film uh, with his character dying in a random freak accident. Yeah, it's it's very... It's like, I don't know, it's kind of like interesting how uh, this guy who has, you know, is like kind of like in the top ranks of like Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger and do, um, John... Do Sorry, do you know more about that movie? Yeah, so uh, Executive Decision is kind of like, um, it's almost like that one airplane film that Wesley Snipes did, but this one has Kurt Russell, and uh, this is like when he had like pretty like, I think like kind of like hair that he has right now, where it's like a little shaggy, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's... uh, terrorists and i think at this time it was russian so <laughs> yeah we hadn't gotten to the milice yet yeah we're, we're about to go back to russians yeah you know mm-hmm. and um, then like you know yeah that moment happened <laughs> and then they immediately went back to yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh but yeah at, i think at this time it was russian terrorists that were taking over this like very exclusive plane and i think kurt russell was like I believe a CIA agent or something like that that was on the plane just ha- just so happened to be on the plane 
and <laughs> of course yeah yeah and it's just like him like trying to take the plane back yeah. and Seagal was kind of like the strike force team that was supposed to kind of like go in and help take over mm. the airplane yeah. but then a freak accident happened which causes the their plane to explode yeah so he's yeah. basically like the team that's supposed to go in and do kurt russell's job but he dies so kurt russell has to do it yeah basically yeah, that sounds about right yeah in 1996 he appeared in the glimmer man uh which was another environmentally conscious and commercial flop dude it's so weird why is he doing all these like environmental movies like i don't know is he secretly okay is he like an asshole but then cares about the environment and wants to save it like it's so weird like well i, I mean i think it's it's weird because I think at that time that was when like a lot of education was more about environmental friendly and being mm-hmm. like, Oh, we need to save our planet. Yeah. I don't know if you ever had that no like project. You didn't that have you... any environmental issues in Iran at all. Like <laughs> No, but if, I didn't know if like you had like a project that you had to do to be like, Oh, we're here to save the planet no. or Yeah. Okay. Just by existing in Iran <laughs> you're saving the planet uh but yeah like at that time during the sick the 1990s it was very heavily like education of like environmental yeah i would say it's it's, it's it was a lot different from like the whole education now oh you know what actually i do remember uh, because i just thought about other movies at that time and it was all about like bioterrorists and stuff that would like try yeah. to like blow up i don't know like uh, like the ice caps or something yeah shit like that yeah yeah okay so that makes a little more sense all right so in a cut interview uh steven tobolowski uh talks about how on the first day of shooting the glimmer man steven tells the director that he has a spiritual crisis and that he's decided uh he doesn't want to kill people in movies anymore uh, okay. Wow. Oh, imagine we almost had a world where Steven Seagal doesn't kill people in movies. That's crazy. <laughs> the director noted to Tobolowsky to not get into a conversation with Seagal. He said that Steven has to kill him in this scene uh, since Tobolowsky's character is a serial killer. During their first meeting, Tobolowsky tells Steven that he has to kill him as a way to free his soul from his disease of killing people. Wow. Yeah, like this... <laughs> Imagine you have to convince an actor that he has to act like he's killing a bad person. And mind you, Steven Tobolowsky is like that kind of guy with the receding hairline. Mm-hmm. You've seen him in a lot of films. Okay. And he kind of does like a lot of like, you know, just like cameos or just uh, more of like a supporting cast. Yeah, he... Um... If you've ever seen One Day at a Time, he's like the boss of the mom. Like the remake, not the original. One. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The net, was it a Netflix remake? Yeah, I think yeah, it was I a Netflix so. remake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just one of those like supporting actors that's kind of in everything, and you don't really, you know, know like, his. I, I'm to me, he's one of those people that I know him, but I don't know his name. <laughs> you know, um, no. he in. Spaceballs, the captain of the guard, and it's kind of like this very outlandish guy. Um, and then 
also, like, if you know Groundhog Day, he's the weird, like, friend that Bill Murray has to, like, interact with every day. Yeah. Or, like, the every repeat of Mm. that day. Yeah. However, two months later, the director tells Tobolowsky that Steven started ad-libbing lines that he was uh, glad he didn't kill the guy in the church, making the church scene unusable. The director asked Tobolowsky to come back for an ADR session and act like he didn't die from the gunshot wound, even though the scene has him with his chest exploding from the impact. Yeah. <laughs> Tobolowsky says, finish me off, you son of a bitch. Come on, don't leave me like this. Kill me. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Uh, yeah. That's kind of cringy <laughs> and sad. It makes me kind of want to watch that movie. Keenan Ivory Wayans notes uh, to Tobolowsky, Man, we are now in the realm of high comedy before walking out. (laughs) In the end, they left the scene as it is. He also played an EPA agent fighting industrialists dumping (laughs) toxic waste in the Kentucky Hills uh, in Fire Down Below. Despite all the stars that were in in that movie, the film was panned by critics and earned the film and Steven... Uh, Razzie Award nomination. Now we are moving into the 2000s and this is kind of when we start to see Seagal in direct-to-video films. Mm. So his first direct-to-video film was The Patriot. Seagal produced the film with his own money and shot it on location on and near his farm in Montana. In 2001 he was in Exit Wounds though the film had fewer martial arts scenes than his previous films it was surprisingly a commercial success however his next two films ticker and half past dead were both critically and commercial failures ticker went straight to dvd and half past dead which had Ja Rule, <laughs> made $6 million less than his budget. Wow, that is, uh, that is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's really funny you're talking, uh, you said that uh, it was a uh, commercial success, even, uh, sorry, uh, for the movie Exit Wounds. Yeah. Uh, when you said that uh, it was a success, even though it didn't have as many martial arts scenes, it reminded me of uh, when my dad was telling me about uh, when they were uh, bringing more and more Western movies to Iran, and they started bringing the Kung Fu movies, uh, a lot of people uh, started getting hurt because, <laughs> like, they would go watch the movie, and then they would, like, do the stunts and stuff. So there were, like, two different waves of this happening, right? One of them was uh, the Bruce Lee movies. Uh-huh. When the Bruce Lee movies came out, people would come out of the theater and just start fighting each other, right? (laughs) You know, they would just start fighting. And then when the Steven Seagal movies became popular, people would uh, start, like, wrestling, you know? Because he does, like, all of his moves are look like wrestling moves because he's, like, throwing people and all that stuff. So people would just, like, randomly start, like, choking each other out in the middle of the street, like, after (laughs) watching the movie and stuff. Like, they would be really hyped about it and they would just do it. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, like I don't know, it's 
it's really funny because it's almost kind of like uh, Keanu Reeves when it comes to dialogue. Mm -hmm. That the fewer dialogue that he has to say, the better his movies are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it's doing pretty well. I mean, yeah. I don't know about Chapter 4 or John Wick, yeah. but, like, it's doing... So far, it's doing good. It's doing pretty good. <laughs> and he's maybe spoken, like, as many lines and he as he does in, like, the entire Matrix movies. Uh, you know yeah <laughs> like it, it, yeah it's... i mean probably at the same level as calvin coolidge the one of the presidents of the united states uh -huh. who was well known for not talking that much how did he get elected i have no idea <laughs> that is that is the one question that we all have <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so in an interview uh tom arnold talks about how they were shooting a scene on a houseboat in toronto for exit wounds the director wanted to rehearse the scene for camera and blocking but seagal refuses claiming he doesn't need to the director okayed seagal's comments and shot the scene as seagal was saying his lines he was supposed to get up and head to a particular door to leave however he heads to the wrong door that leads into the ocean Arnold wanted to stop him and say something, but the director notes to Arnold not to say anything. In the end, Seagal opens the door and falls right into the ocean. Arnold also says that Seagal was placing black markers along the hairline to make it look like he still had hair. Uh, when he got out of the water, the marker was running down his face. <laughs> yeah. So it's like his version of getting like runny mascara in my in my vision, you know. Yeah, and it's so funny because Tom is still friends with Seagal. Like, oh really? Yeah, because oh, wow. I guess like he when he was in this interview, yeah, and he brought this up. He's like, oh, I know that he's going to he's going to call me and say why did like, you say that? Yeah, it's like why did you say that? And then he all he also agrees that he's very sensitive. Oh and, yeah. <laughs> Of course, yeah. That's cool that they're friends, though. Like, he can tell his friend, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was going to call you out on that or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so afterwards, 99% of his movies were direct to video in North America with some theatrical releases to other countries around the world. Uh, there were some films that Seagal was credited as a producer and sometimes as a writer. Uh, Black Dawn, Belly of the Beast, Out of Reach, Submerged, Kill Switch. Urban Justice, Pistol Whipped, Against the Dark, Driven to Kill, A Dangerous Man, Born to Raise Hell, and The Keeper. So I'm noticing a trend that also holds true to this day, that all of these movies have very simple titles. It's like two, you know, two syllables or like two words, you know, <laughs> yeah. or if it's three words, the words have to be very, very short and simple, you yeah. know? All, like, at least one of them has to have the or on or yeah. in. Like, you know? it, like, if it's two words, it's like Black Dawn, you know? It's two random, you know, two words, pistol whipped. If it's three one, it's a dangerous man, <laughs> you know? That's like the vaguest title. <laughs> oh, and also, I think Ralph the Movie Maker noted this, or someone else noted that whenever he makes like a new movie it's like the title is always similar to one of his like heyday movies you know yeah so people get confused and yeah watch it or they're like oh what if it's like that one yeah 
Like, it's like for people like my dad, you know? Yeah. Like, my basically. dad still, whenever he sees a Seagal poster, he's like, oh, that's gonna be a good movie, you know? <laughs> they don't make action. You know, they don't make action movies like that anymore. And it's like, all right, dad, uh, for sure. Uh, so, in 2005, Seagal released his debut album, Songs from the Crystal Cave, uh, because he saw, if I can't act anymore, I could be a musician. Yes, yeah. And my dad liked his music, too. Yeah. I, I'm starting to realize my dad was such a big Steven Seagal fan. Like, what the hell? Um, that's pretty uh, crazy that he was like, okay, I'm just going to go make a, make an album now. And, yeah. uh, you know, you call uh, the songs from the Crystal Cave. And uh, I recommend people look up a, a picture of the album because it's him basically caressing a guitar, holding it wrong. Um, and he's wearing like this gigantic uh, turquoise ring and you can tell that he's trying to imply that he has some sort of Native American oh my god yes some sort of mystical shamanistic you know Native American thing going on because he's wearing like a giant turquoise ring and a freaking like ivory uh, marble like pearl thing on his arm so yeah, it's it's uh it's kind of weird. Also, Crystal Crystal Cave, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was credited with lead vocals, rhythm, and lead guitar. The style was described as outsider country meets world music meets Aikido. <laughs> I mean, I you know my favorite bands are mixed with martial arts usually yeah you know yeah whose whose favorite band doesn't include martial arts <laughs> uh stevie wonder participate in seagal's album as harmonica though seagal notes that wonder is a great friend who was kind enough to help out he didn't explain how he got wonder to work with <laughs> Also, Stevie didn't return to Seagal's next album, Mojo Priest. The album received mixed reviews, with many noting that the album's mixture of styles and tones was slapshot and haphazard. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. He's not a musician. No. <laughs> and I do wonder how you got Stevie Wonder to go... <laughs> I do wonder how you got Stevie Wonder uh, to go on, on that album. You know, he probably tricked him. He's like, it's like, hey, can you can you just like bell out like a harmonica? Yeah. Just like play with us for a bit. I, I, We're not recording. Yeah. <laughs> the following year, Mojo Priest was released because I guess he he just couldn't wait. Yeah. Again, you know, Mojo Priest. Just saying, you know. <laughs> and also, like uh, describing this album, he's kind of like a little boy sitting on a rocking chair. Holding a guitar, again, No not... one sits like this. Yeah. <laughs> and Nobody... again, not, like, holding it correctly, also. Yeah. He's, like, <laughs> sitting at the edge of the seat of the rocking chair, which usually, you know, you sit at the back. He's sitting at the edge of the seat uh, with his back straight. <laughs> and he looks very uncomfortable. And he, again, <laughs> looks like he hasn't held a guitar ever in his life. You know? How... What? The album was panned by all music, which notes, all of this music takes itself so seriously that its borders are delusional excess. Seagal's 
guitar playing, despite showcasing his Les Paul on the cover, leaves plenty to be desired. It rarely rises above bar band pedigree, and most of the time, it isn't that good. <laughs> wow. Uh, and that was the only uh, review that I could find for this. That's the only <laughs> review the album got. Th- that's so crazy. Uh. So despite bad reviews, Seagal went on a U.S. and international tour to promote the album. I'm very surprised that your dad didn't go see Go him. see this. I mean, he would have moved to America years before we actually did if he knew about this, you know? But he also was international. Who knew that he was? He stopped by Tehran? Well, I'm sure he doesn't. He didn't know he had fans there. Oh, that's true. You know, he probably didn't know. <laughs> Because they're not going to tell him how much... Like, he never saw a cent for the movies that, you know, they played in Iran. So, like, how would he even know? So let's talk about, you know, that that's... We talked about his movies. We talked about his music. Now let's uh, talk a little bit more about his marriage. So he met his next wife. So Stephen met his next wife, Erdentuya Batsuch, in 2001, uh, when she was his translator during his uh, visit to Mongolia. She goes by L and is a well-known Mongolian dancer. Uh, the two were married in 2009 and have a son together. Uh, I am so glad that she started going by L because I probably <laughs> read her first name like 30 times before I could say it. And I'm yeah. sure I butchered it. Uh, last name, very easy. Batsuk, very easy. First name is L. In 2009, uh, Steven actually starred in a reality TV show. Steven Seagal, lawman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the focus of uh, the show is on Steven working as a deputy in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. Though the show made him look like he was a sworn deputy, he was more of a reserve deputy chief, meaning that the position is uh, a volunteership and it's not paid with a minimum of 24 hours a month. Uh, they work in ride-alongs with sworn deputies, provide support for special events like parades, uh, patrol support assists with arrests, special missions like uh, you know drug details, fugitive roundups, uh, getting them coffee, things like that, and you know assisting at traffic accident. It's mostly like things that you don't need to be a full on uh, you know sheriff or deputy or police officer to do. You know a security person would be able to do it, uh, and that's the stuff that he was basically doing. Mm-hmm. Seagal notes that in the late 80s, uh, Harry Lee, Jefferson Paris's sheriff at the time, asked them to train some of his deputies in martial arts. He claimed that he was so good that Lee asked Seagal to join the department as a reserve deputy. Despite stating that he is certified, the photo they show him being sworn in shows him 20 years older uh, than what he looked like in the 80s. <laughs> so basically, he like was like, yeah, I'm going to tell this story. How about we take a photo (laughs) so it looks like that actually happened. Also, the Peace Officer Standards and Training Organization has no record of uh, Stephen ever being certified. (laughs) So you know that this is just BS. Yeah, of course, of course. He just kind of was probably friends with the sheriff. Or rather, the sheriff used to be a fan, right? So he was like, oh, Stephen, you want to come right along, dude? And Stephen's like, yeah, can I film a show? Sure, dude. Hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah, brother. In April 2010, production for the second season was on hold due to a lawsuit filed against Seagal 
by his former assistant at the time. She claims Seagal committed sexual harassment, illegal trafficking women for sex, failed to prevent sexual harassment, retaliated against her, wrongfully terminated her, and made false representation about her employment. Yeah, so basically she was like, hey, he's bringing hookers, you know, letting anyone get sexually harassed, and uh, he just fired me because I spoke out about it. Uh, and then prevented yeah. me from getting, like, another job. Job, yeah, yeah. basically. Uh, she also alleges that she was asked to join his harem, which included two Russian women. Again, maybe this is just, like, I think this is when he transitioned to yeah. being Russian. Well, <laughs> that's so weird. Okay. Uh, the Jefferson Parish Sheriff, Newell Norman, announced that he will launch an investigation if she filed a criminal complaint against Seagal and the department. However, she never filed the complaint and later dropped her lawsuit. And six days later, the show would begin airing the second season in October the same year, but no specific date was given for the release date. Mm -hmm. And in February... To- so wait, do you Sorry. think uh, Stephen paid her off? Probably. Yeah, because she just drops the lawsuit. Because that's such a good lawsuit. Like, she would probably get a lot out of that. Yeah, but I I mean, I guess, like, maybe in 2018, yeah, it would be a lot. But I feel like Oh, this is time, before yeah. me, the Me Too thing. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. think, like, it was still kind of like, yeah, it, we're still kind of recognizing it, but it's, like, not nowhere near as 2018. Yeah. Um, in February 2011, A&E announced his series would begin production on season three, this time in Maricopa County, Arizona. Dude, they keep moving it because they're like, oh, we got caught in this state. We can't do it in this state anymore because he's not supposed to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to a different state. Uh, so two episodes were scheduled to be aired in January 2012. However, shortly before the episodes were to be aired, web page, sorry, web pages and Facebook pages, you know, back when Facebook was pretty popular. Yeah, and people would just like make a blogger page and be like, yeah. "This is my web page. <laughs> I just found the internet." Um, about the series, uh, were removed, and A and E made no am- announcement about the sudden suspension. And in 2013, it was announced that the third season would air on Reels channel in 2014. However, only three of the eight episodes aired, and the show was canceled on February 13, 2014. And we will explain a little later as to why. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, because I was about to say, that's kind of weird. Um, Because... You know, it feels like he just kept bouncing it from one thing to another, trying to see where it sticks. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happened. So yeah. Uh, you know, the 2010s were uh, an exciting time for Steven Seagal for us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven's uh, direct-to-video films uh, increasingly started to become ensemble pieces. Most of them included him playing minor or supporting roles. Uh, but receiving top billing, so it's basically like him slapped in the front of the poster, giant, you know, 
dwarfing everyone else, his name is the biggest, blah, blah. And a bunch of good examples for these movies are Maximum Conviction, Force of Execution, Gutshot Straight, Code of Honor, Sniper Special Ops, The Asian Connection, The Perfect Weapon, Cartels, and China Salesman. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think Steven loves coming up with movie names and then when he like whenever he thinks of them he writes it down on a little piece of paper Mm -hmm. and then he just like makes them after one after each other you know yeah he's just like i'm i have a bunch of names you know he's like michael scott in uh in the in the office where he's like i i can i'll never run out of company names you know i'll just keep making another company and i'll make another company you should uh get that clip and put it in here yeah yeah if tomorrow my company goes under i will just start another paper company and then another and another and another i have no shortage of company names michael that's one of them this caused uh commentators to criticize seagal for his low effort participation in movies so basically it's around this time where people are starting to notice hey man this guy's just phoning it in at this point (laughs) Uh, we go to watch his movie and it's not it's not even in there you know he's not even there uh, I still remember this one film where he's like looking directly at the camera and he's supposed to talk to someone who's that one yeah like, he's like <laughs> to the left or something yeah to the right um, in 2010 uh, he produced and starred in True Justice a TV action show where Stephen played Elijah Kane head of an undercover police task force called Special Investigation Unit in Seattle. Um, So, S-I-U, okay. Um, (laughs) Stephen created, starred in, uh, and wrote the first season of the show. Uh, It was published on Nitro, a Spanish TV channel, and 5 USA, a UK channel. For the second season, it was aired on reels in the UK. The show has been repackaged as a series of DVD movies, with each disc editing together two episodes. <laughs> wow. I have never heard of that. Yeah. That's crazy. So they basically take two episodes and make it into one movie? Basically. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Um, and I like that the UK has a channel called uh, 5 USA. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Where they play like shit from... Uh, the u.s that doesn't actually get played in the u.s yeah um so in terms of his citizenship uh seagal has citizenship to the u.s serbia and russia uh he received citizenship to serbia in january 11 2016 and fun fact that was the day bowie died so when he died, that's not fun. Seagal <laughs> got his citizenship. <laughs> okay, because it's a fun fact. I'm like, oh, that's not a fun fact. David Bowie died that day. Seagal received citizenship after visiting Serbia a couple of times and praising President Alexander Vucic. He even admitted to feeling like a Serb himself. And once he was granted citizenship, Seagal promised to promote Serbia and open a martial arts school in Belgrade. Um, he also taught Akito to Serbian special forces. Oh my god. <laughs> How is this real? He basically was like, 
hey, I really like the president of this country. And the president was like, you know what? You get a citizenship. <laughs> and um, then Stephen was like, you know what? I'll make a martial arts school there. That's cool. Where does he get the instructor for this school? How does he vet them? How does, does he take resumes? You know, how does this work? <laughs> also, does this mean that the Serbian special forces are the deadliest in the world? Because he's trained them? No. You know what is the deadliest? What? Uh, seals from Russia. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like that that might be the reason why he went for citizenship for Russia. On November 3rd, yeah. 2016, like within, not even like a year. In the same year he In the gets, same year. <laughs> there are some people that... You know, they have to cross the U.S. border several times to get one citizenship. And this guy is just like, hey, I like the president of Serbia. And the president is like, dude, do you want to be a re- do you want to be a citizen here? Like, <laughs> uh, So fun fact, uh, November 3rd, 2016 was the day the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series since 1980. 19- Oh, See, that is a fun fact, babe. This is much more fun than David Bowie dying. <laughs> uh, Seagal receives citizenship due to him being very close to Vladimir Putin for some time. Is this one of those things where he says he's, like, close? Or is he actually close? Well, I mean... Or, you, you know, I know Putin's kind of busy right now. <laughs> But, like, you know, so they don't talk as much. (laughs) Okay, in case someone listens to this in, like, the future, uh, there is currently, like, the Russia versus Ukraine war going on. That's what I'm saying. Putin's busy. Yeah. It was also because he kept asking to be granted citizenship. So I think it was probably because he kept nagging to Vladimir and was like, hey, like, can you can you grant me citizenship, please? Please, yeah. please. Well, I feel like he would do it like uh, he did with the SNL cast where he's just like, uh, why did you why didn't why aren't you giving me citizenship yet? What what is preventing you from giving me citizenship? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Seagal calls Putin one of the greatest world leaders, if not the greatest world leader alive today, and criticized the U.S. of its treatment of Russia. But when he claimed Putin to be his brother, Putin started distancing himself from Seagal. Oh, (laughs) jeez. He also visited Belarus to visit Europe's last dictator, Alexander Lukashenko. Lukashenko? Lukashenko. Yeah. Uh, This led to them hanging outside and talk about the harvest while Seagal chomps on a big-ass carrot. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because his glasses matches the carrot. (laughs) He's wearing, like, these orange-tinted glasses that look like uh, gunners that, uh, you know, people that... Uh, oh, the code a lot. No, no, the ones that code a lot. The the brand is called Gunner G U N N A R, and it's like uh, a special coding for screens and stuff. Uh, and yeah, he's just sticking that carrot way up in there with his uh, <laughs> pinky sticking out. Uh, it's pretty funny. Yeah. During the visit, Seagal offers support to Lukashenko after being accused of war crimes and corruption. Um, there is no word if Seagal is striving to receive a Belarus citizenship. 
I mean, he has a citizenship to all the Russian countries at this point, you know? Like, yeah. He's, it's like, Stephen, you're good. Like, how many places are you a citizen of? Because he's for sure also still a citizen of the U.S. Yeah. So that means at least every six months he has to come to the U.S. Like, and check in. Yeah. So, like, what are you doing? Steven, what are you doing? <laughs> and, of course, there have been uh, a number of allegations and lawsuits against Steven uh, across his career. Uh, in May of 1991, for example, during the filming of Out for Justice... Uh, Warner Brother employees uh, Renee Malone, Nicole Selinger, and Christine Keeve accused Stephen of sexual harassment. In return for remaining silent, uh, Malone and the other women received around 50000 each in an out-of-court settlement. Around the same time, at least four actresses claimed that Stephen Seagal had made, it sex- had made sexual advances, uh, typically during late-night, quote-unquote, casting sessions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Julianne Margulies alleges that Seagal tried to take advantage of her when she tried to audition for Out of Justice. The casting director asked Julianne to meet her and Seagal at his hotel room. However, when she arrived, the casting director was nowhere to be found, and Stephen invites her to sit on the couch, only to discover that he had a gun under the cushion. And he then reads her palm and <laughs> claims that she has weak kidneys, but he can heal her. <laughs> and then she immediately leaves. Uh, well, yeah. Moments later. Hell? You gotta go get your che- the kidneys checked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, during the MeToo movement, Jenny McCarthy claimed that Seagal asked her to undress during audition for Under Siege 2. He argues that the part has nudity and can't really tell what Jenny's body looks like in that dress that she's wearing. And she knows that she was wearing a muumu, which is kind of like an oversized dress. Uh-huh. So she can receive the role for her act instead of her looks that's why she was wearing the mumu yeah she tells him that her agent mentioned the role does not contain nudity to which the gall notes that it's an off-camera nudity what the fuck (laughs) uh both seagal and warner brothers casting deny uh the claims with warner brothers arguing that mccarthy never auditioned for the role uh, yeah, I was going to say, don't they tape all auditions? I mean, s- mostly. Um, well, I'm sure back then they probably didn't. Huh? Cause, I mean, I think they did. Yeah. yeah. Pro- because I think it's probably because like the director most of the time doesn't go to that unless it's like for a main role. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like the second um, or third audition. Well, I mean, the director must have been there for this because... It's the female lead for Under Siege 2. So, it's a pretty big deal. (laughs) (laughs) During an interview on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Catherine Heigl allegedly noted that during the final day of shooting Under Siege 2, Seagal told her that he had girlfriends the same age as 16-year-old Heigl at the time. And when she questioned, isn't that illegal? Seagal notes, they don't mind, before Heigl called for her mom. Jeez. Mom? Yeah. 
Uh, Kimmel responded by displaying a photo of the film's promotional tour showing Seagal's hand on Heigl's chest while they posed for a photo. Mm -hmm. In 2017, Dutch model Fiola Dot. Faviola Dadis. Faviola Dadis. Posted a statement on her Instagram account saying that she had been sexually assaulted by Seagal in 2002. However, Dutch broadcast networks questioned the story's credibility, causing her to be traumatized by it. And actor Portia de Rossi accused Seagal of sexually harassing her during a movie audition and she alleged that during an audition in Seagal's office he told her how important it was to have chemistry off screen before unzipping his pants. There's a point where it's like all of these women are telling you the same story you know they're all (laughs) like yeah he invites to auditions and then he's like we gotta fuck so like if they're all telling the same story you know it's bound to be true (laughs) yeah it's like come on uh it's pretty obvious that uh, that there's something going on there so it's like yeah uh in 1995 seagal was charged with employment discrimination sexual harassment and breach of contract uh, an unknown woman filed a case against Seagal, accusing him of threatening and beating her during the filming of On Deadly Ground. However, in August of 1995, the Los Angeles Superior Court judge Hiroshi Fujisaki uh, dismissed the case, calling the claims repetitive and unintelligible. And again, it was a different time <laughs> yeah it's like wait this was in 1995 yeah like yeah this is <laughs> i i feel like something like that wouldn't find now like you wouldn't be able to say oh your your uh, claims are unintelligible like she's literally just saying he beat me yeah like what which part of that is unintelligible you know um th- yeah that's that's just crazy on January 15, 2018, actress and Bond girl Rachel Grant publicly accused Seagal of sexually assaulting her in 2002 during pre-production of his directed video film Out for a Kill, stating that she lost her job on the film after the incident. And in t- February of 2018, the Los Angeles Court District Attorney's Office acknowledged that it was reviewing potential sex, sex abuse case involving Seagal. However, there were no further information about the lawsuit. And I feel that it was maybe because the whole statutory mm-hmm. might have expired. That statute, statute of limitation. Statute of limitation. Statutory. <laughs> No, I meant like the statute of limitations. Yeah, the statute of limitations, yeah. And it, it's kind of fucked up because, yeah, and for some of them, it sounds like he just ended up paying them off, right? Like, it's like, yeah, they went to claim, uh, they went to like file a thing, and then after a while, they just didn't. Yeah. So it almost sounds like they, they were kind of paid off. Which, you know, if you paid those other women 50000 like, he wasn't exactly being generous, you know? It's like... I would ask for a lot more. 
if you're gonna harass me, you're gonna like pay. On August 30 of 2011, Jesus Sanchez Lovera filed a lawsuit against Seagal over his part in the Maricopa County police raid with heavy weapons, not- notably including an army surplus tank on Lovera's residence for suspicious of cockfighting. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the incident was taped on Seagal's a reality show, Steven Seagal, Lawman, and Lovera was seeking $100,000 for damages caused, caused during the raid and a letter of apology from Seagal to Lovera's children for the death of their family pet. Lovera claimed that his 11-month-old puppy was shot and killed during the raid, and Lovera failed to file court-order paperwork after his attorney withdrew from the case, and as a result, the lawsuit was dismissed in January 2013, and this potentially caused the show to get canceled. Wow. Do you think that that basically he, again, got paid, like, so much that the show had to be canceled? No, I think that he probably was given... I don't know. It's kind of hard because, like, the fact that his attorney withdrew from the case, it kind of meant that, like, he didn't have enough evidence, technically. Because, like, how does he know that Seagal rode on the tank you know that he was the one that drove the tank through yeah if that makes sense yeah that's kind of weird because i'm like you got to be able to sue someone if someone like you know comes into your <laughs> like property and kills your dog like come on what the well fuck? i mean i think it's probably maybe it could be because of if he goes on trial they're going to bring up all of his past and maybe criminal history and uh... maybe he didn't want that or maybe he was like trying to well yeah and that's a good point and i also don't know what that guy's you know uh lavera's thing was maybe lavera was actually like convicted of something right then but just on the side separately from his thing he's just suing because it's like during the arrest yeah you know they killed the pet um on February 27, 2020, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission announced settled charges against Seagal for failing to disclose payments he received for promoting an investment in an initial coin offering ICO conducted by Bitcoin to Gen. Yeah, which is, for those that don't know, it's a scam. Don't do it. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's kind of like he promised he was promised two hundred fifty thousand in cash and seven hundred fifty thousand worth of B two G tokens in exchange for his social media promotions and press release, in which he wholeheartedly endorsed the ICO, which violated the anti-touting provision of federal security laws, without admitting or denying the SEC findings, Seagal agreed to pay $157,000 in disgorgement, uh, representing the actual payments he received for his promotions, plus prejudgment interest and a $157,000 penalty. 
Uh, Seagal also agreed not to promote any securities, digital or other otherwise, for three years. <laughs> wow. It's funny that they got him because a lot of people do this, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of people do this now. It's not even a big deal. Um, but it got really popular during the pandemic, and this happened right before it, you know, February 30th of 2020, yeah. You know, in his career, uh, Steven Seagal has also been accused by uh, former stunt performers who have worked with him, including Kane Hodder, Steven Quadros, and Gene LaBelle, of intentionally hitting stuntmen during scenes. Authentic or not, the reports of this incident led LaBelle to be counted in 1992 as an additional member of Robert Walls's Dirty Dozen, a group of martial artists willing to answer a public challenge made by Seagal. LaBelle, however, declined to participate, revealing the feud with Seagal was hurting him professionally. He did, however, criticize Seagal for his treatment of stuntmen and left open the possibility of a professional fight if Seagal wanted to do it. Seagal would eventually meet Wall and apologize to him about his comments. I never would have imagined Steven Seagal apologizing for anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Other allegations of mistreatment towards stuntsmen have continued throughout Seagal's later career as well. With uh, stuntman Peter Harris Kent, Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double, and Mike Leader publicly criticizing his onset antics. Michael J. White, uh, who acted with him in a number of movies, stated that he routinely hit, hit stuntmen and that he was known for it. However, he stated that Seagal never hit him. On the set of the 1996 film, Executive Decision, Steven Seagal announced that he was in charge of the set during a rehearsal day. I'm in command. Whatever I say is law, is what he had said. This caused John Leguizamo to roar into laughter. Seagal was bothered and caught John off guard by knocking him into a brick wall, letting all the air out of John. John later commented that he should have told Stephen that he is a fatty and runs like a bitch playing double dutch. <laughs> How dare that fat piece of shit touch John Leguizamo, you know? <laughs> oh my god. I mean, he's not wrong about his run. Like, it's very disturbing to see. I don't think he can run right now. He's 71. He's yeah, fat but as like fuck. earlier in yeah, his career. Yeah, true, true. Like, this was in 1996. Yeah. yeah, this was like 20 years ago. Yeah. So now that we explored his life, do you ever think that he is a bully or that he was ever bullied as a kid? He was bullied as a kid? Yeah. No, I don't think so. No. I think he maybe did some bullying as a kid. Uh, but it, it, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell because, yeah, maybe he was bullied and then grew up and became a bully. But also, like, maybe he was just always a piece of shit. And when he grew up, he was like, oh, I can do martial arts now. So, you know, he kind of got his head blown up by people around him, you know, Uh inflating his ego and stuff and that just kind of let him do whatever he wants <laughs> i mean in my opinion i feel like that it's almost the opposite i feel like that he was kind of bullied hmm. not maybe not a lot like maybe tim burton yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i would say like enough to where when he did became somewhat okay when it came to aikido uh, training that I think it really got into his head and then when he became successful as an actor 
and a stunt person, he was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm better than, you know, anyone in this room, basically. Yeah, that's, he, whatever, whatever room he entered, he thought he was the biggest, baddest, yeah. Yeah, uh, I would also say that he is very sensitive. Yeah, delicate like a flower, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> which explains his run. Yeah, uh, what? There's like a veg. Uh, I I know I called him a flower, but there's like a vegetable that like oh you bruise like a something and it's a like peach? a peach. Maybe is it a peach? Maybe, but yeah, like you know he's you mention the slightest thing and he's gonna cry, and his like main d- way to deal with it is be aggressive, uh, and you know and I think thinking back on it now too, uh, talking about the bullying bit. He talks about uh, everyone calls him like oh he's he was hitting the stuntsman blah 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 and it sounds like he was hitting the like grunty stuntsmen like the ones that are just like filler that are there meant to be like defeated you know and like just fall and not get up um, and I remember uh, watching a documentary that it was like yeah this used to be uh, how. Uh, East Asian martial arts movies were made where you would actually like hit the stunt guy like that was just the you know that's kind of how it started for Jackie Chan was he was the guy that would just get hit like you know when he was fighting Bruce Lee Bruce Lee would just hit him there was no uh, we're gonna hold and then not you know well on the American sets he didn't hit him obviously but like you know on non-regulated non-American sets they would just hit the martial art they would just do the martial arts um so maybe he was just doing that i don't know he's oh that you're saying that he his action was justifiable because in east asia no no i'm not saying it was justifiable i'm saying like i I think he viewed it as like oh these guys are just the low lowly like stuntsmen that are just fodder for me to hit oh okay no I kind of got a little confused because I thought that you were saying that, oh, like, in Asian, you know, cinema, that, oh, it mm. was totally fine to hit other stunt people. Oh, like no, 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 yeah, yeah, no. I was just giving that as an example of, like, yeah, that happens there. Uh, but, yeah, for, for Steven Seagal and I, I totally meant, like, he thought that, oh, these guys are just, like, oh, dumbasses. I'm just going to hit them because I'm Steven Seagal. What are they going to do? Yeah. I'm the main actor. These are the stunt guys. I'm just going to hit them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, and I also, you know, think he's really arrogant um, because he's literally hanging out with dictators and not even being aware of it, you know? Yeah. Like another, like one of the funniest like scenes from Lawman uh, was that he was at a children's hospital, I think. And he told a kid, oh, I'm not arrogant. I'm just a shy guy. And I'm like, you guys are arrogant. It's, you know, it's really weird because he almost comes off as this, like, complete asshole, right? Like, complete, complete asshole that obviously, like, does terrible things. But whenever he's trying to be in the public eye, he's like, oh, here you go, little little boy. You know, like, (laughs) you... he acts like a hero he acts like a literally a comic book hero because that's what he thinks a good person is like 
Yeah. You know, so he's like, oh, I'm gonna be extra heroic. So <laughs> what 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 is heroic? Fighting against pollution. So I'm gonna fight against pollution in my SNL thing.、Uh-huh. You know, or I'm gonna tell this. Kid, something nice, you know, like give him a heroic answer or whatever.、Uh, I'm just a shy guy. I'm just like <laughs> you, kid. You know, it's like Ian. I, I was like you one time. I was just a shy kid. You know, just that really like idealized answer that、uh, a quote unquote hero would give. But it's so unreal. Like it's so fall. Like it's so not truthful that it's funny. Yeah. Opinion, yeah. Uh, so the main question of this entire episode,、mm-hmm. um, is he Steven Seagal, the tragedy of Hollywood? I would say he's kind of a tragedy. You know, I don't know if he's the tragedy. I think the real tragedy is that there's so many people like him in Hollywood. Yeah. You know,、uh, I, I mean, it's harder now to be like that because if you do something like. People will just cancel you and like blow you up immediately.、Uh, let's say, for example,、uh, let's name a famous actor from right now,、um, Chris Pratt. Right?、Uh, let's say in like five years, it comes out that during the filming for Mario's movie, he like made some mean comments or something. He's immediately gonna get canceled, right? He's no one's gonna talk about him again, and he's gonna go. T- To doing like direct to Amazon movies and shit,、mm. but I, I think that's kind of the real tragedy of Steven Seagal is like yeah he's just one of the many assholes that gets away with a lot of things. Yeah, like I don't know. I'm just kind of surprised that for a guy who's who's not even trying that he just somehow、mm-hmm. manages to get like you know gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like. I don't know. It's very surprising. And then also, it's just like I don't know. Kind of, I would say he is a little bit of a tragedy too, because it's like he just, I don't know. He did like so well in the beginning, you know, not the whole like having a second marriage. <laughs> yeah, you... but like you know, he he got successful and within the. Well, fame got to him. Yeah, fame got to him. Kind of isn't that how kind of like Chevy Chase was. Yeah, basically. Yeah, like fame just gets to them and they go crazy. Like, yeah, I hope it happens to me one day. Okay, Ravenclaw, who's <laughs> actually a Slytherin. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's it for our、uh, tiny little breakdown of、uh, Steven Seagal's life. Uh, just kind of going over the highlights.、Uh, I'd really recommend checking out、uh, Ralph the Movie Maker's、uh, reviews of his movies. Uh, that one's、uh, diorama channel、uh, is pretty cool. Oh, also, Mister Gigi. Yeah, Mister Gigi does a few videos on、uh, mm-hmm. on him as well.、Um, yeah, that's that's kind of、uh, what our thoughts are on Steven Seagal. He's a he's a tragic, misunderstood piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah.、Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at J. A N D M underscore podcast. If you like this episode,、uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.、Um, yeah, thank you again for listening. And look, you made it under a minute and thirty-seven seconds before I edit this. <laughs> <laughs>
True. Uh, yeah, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, hope you guys stay safe. Uh, see you on the next one. Bye. 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 Bye.